may be seated. As we look to God's Word, um, we'll recap from last week. So last week we turned our attention to the very beginning of the Bible, the first pages. And we looked at even just the first few verses of Genesis chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 through 5. And I titled last week's sermon, The Genesis of Revelation, because I wanted to discuss the, the beginnings That is the genesis of the revelation of God to us through this unique and wonderful word of God and the story of creation. And and really that title, the genesis of revelation, not necessarily just a title for that that sermon, but it could be kind of a title for for a whole series because that's what I hope to do over the next few weeks is continue to talk about the revelation of God for us in the book of Genesis. So last week, we talked about how these words in Genesis 1, they're theological in in nature. Genesis 1 is theocentric. Theo meaning God, centric meaning centered. It's God-centered. And what Genesis Genesis 1 especially provides for us, they're statements of faith that illuminate, that, that provide revelation for us of the nature and the character of God. They provide our beginnings of our understanding of God. And they reveal things to us about God, who God is and what God is like. There's a Jewish scholar named Nahum Sarna, and he once wrote of Genesis 1 saying, The biblical creation narrative is a document of faith. It is a quest for meaning and a statement of religious position. Its quintessential teaching is that the universe is wholly and purposeful, or wholly the purposeful product of divine intelligence. That is, of the one self-sufficient, self-existing God, who is, tra- who is a transcendent being outside of nature and who is sovereign over space and time. I, I would concur with, with that statement. I think that's a wonderful statement, especially about Genesis chapter 1. But as we even just looked at just even the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1, I outlined five revelatory aspects or characteristics about God that we can observe just in those few verses. It wasn't meant to be comprehensive, but just as a starting place. So it's just as a quick review because we're going to build straight off of that as we continue in Genesis 1. Uh, the first revelation was that of the revelation of God's divine aseity, that that aseity, that word mean, that describes God's self-existence. The very beginning of Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God. Meaning that God was already present. He's assumed to have always been present, even in those words. God's existence is not, nor has it ever been, dependent on anything or anyone other than his own being. God is from eternal, eternity past and will be forevermore in eternity future. God is. And God is self-sufficient, self-existing, and from everlasting to everlasting. The second point was the revelation of God's freedom, will, and generosity. That in the beginning, God created. God did this outward work. Nothing outside of God compels him to create other than God's own desire to do so other than his own choice to do so. He's completely free to create or not to create, and he chose to create. That's to be outward-focused, to share and to give. 
Creation is a gift. Life is a gift from God. And so to say that God is creator is to also mean that God is a giver because creation is a free and outward act of God. And so it speaks to God's character as being uh, uh, generous and loving and giving. The third thing, revelation of God's sovereignty. The only power in Genesis 1 is God and God's power. There are no other gods, no other forces, which was countercultural to, to everything that was surrounding them these thousands of years ago. The message of Scripture is clear that there is none besides God. God is the true and only creator and ruler of the universe. He is not threatened or challenged. He is supremely and without question sovereign over all creation. And the fourth thing, it's a revelation of God's word. God spoke and it came to be. Genesis 1 also gives us a revelation of God's words and God's commands and decrees. And we know that they're authoritative. He speaks and creation is manifested in order. And so this importance of God's word continues on. I mean, that's, we call the Bible God's word and we give it authority over our lives. And then the last thing was Genesis 1 providing us with a, a this one's a little different, but a pre-revelation of Christ. And this is where the Apostle John, he begins his, his gospel of John with a take or with a kind of an insight from Genesis chapter 1. And he starts the gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him not anything was made that has been made. What creation all points to is the supremacy of Christ Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, and Jesus is the Word and the wisdom of God in flesh who dwelt among us. And so we see that redemption is already wrapped up even in creation. All right, so as we're going to continue on, as is our tradition, let us pray for God's illumination. God, your Word is holy and good and true. Help us not to reduce your word in such a way as to make it serve our purposes or our agendas, but rather help us that we would humbly submit ourselves before your word and before you, that we would seek your purposes. Help us to put aside everything that we are and everything that we have in order to glorify you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. So I'm going to start in verse 1 just because it's, it's an awesome place to start. But we're going to go through verse 13 and then pause. So it begins, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, 
the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Okay, pause. One, so I can catch my breath a little bit. But before we keep reading, let's establish a few things about what we just read. So the first thing is verses 1 and 2, the very first two verses of Genesis chapter 1, provide for us kind of a a short introduction. They set the stage, and and it's sort of a a prologue for everything that's about to follow in Genesis chapter 1. And so creating actually kind of begins at verse 3, where it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. I want us to pay attention to a few literary patterns in the text of Genesis 1. And we're going we're gonna to start with just looking at these first few verses, but that pattern is going to follow for what we're about to read. So the first thing that happens in this text is that a command is given by God, which results in whatever that command was to happen. So for example, and God said, there's the command that's about to happen, let there be light, and there was light. That's the, that's the first part of the pattern. The second thing is God confirms the goodness or the purity or the value of that which he created. Uh, so, for example, verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. He gave it a, a, a value and importance. The third thing, God gives order to that creation. And with that, also meaning and purpose. So, verses 4 and kind of into verse 5 and God separated the light from the darkness he's ordering that and God called the light day and the darkness he called night what do we call like our cycle of day night day night I mean that's basically time for us right that's just how our days work there's light and there's darkness and that's a day so God is establishing this idea of of time in this first part but that pattern of giving order and, and meaning and purpose continues on. And the last pattern in each of these sections is that each section ends with a, with a formula of words. Not of numbers, but of words. Well, there's numbers in it too. But it, it serves as a marker as the end of that day or that section. And it usually says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. That marks the end of that day. And so that repeats all these patterns repeat each time and so let's review these first three days and and what is spoken of here so day one nope go back there we go so day one genesis 1 verse 3 light and darkness okay we talked about time is established there day two where it says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. That sounds a little weird, like waters and waters and what's happening there. 
So you have to think, they understood, okay, they understood oceans. They also understood that if you dig in the ground, you can dig a well, and there's water down there. So there's something about water being below and in the oceans, and also rains. There's water above, but in the middle, there's atmosphere. They didn't call it atmosphere, but that's this expanse. And so day two separates waters and sky. Day three is a little unique. I'll get to that in a second. But God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. So in the first part, we have the separation of waters and dry land. So dry land is created, but there's kind of a dual uh, creative act because we also see the words again, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. So there's actually kind of two things that happen on day three. Dry land appear and also vegetation appears. This is all going to make a lot more sense here in just a little bit. I know you're thinking he's getting way too nerdy about what's happening right here, but it's going to come together and then you're going to be like, oh, that's cool. So this is, this is, you have to pay attention to that. All right, so we're going to continue Genesis 1, it's a little wordy. You just kind of have to stay with me, okay? I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to tie this all together, and it's going to have a nice bow on it, and it's going to be pretty and awesome. Here we go. Picking up at verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the ground, everything that has the breath of life. 
I have given every green plant for food, and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Got to breathe. Okay. All right, so that pattern that I mentioned that reoccurs in verses 1 through 3 continues in verses 4 through 6. God speaks into existence. God calls it good. God gives it purpose. And then the section ends with that formula of what day it was. So now let's quickly just name what is described in those uh, days 4 through 6. So day 4, we see the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the heavenly beings. There's kind of a technical term for this. You can call it, lump it all together and call it the luminaries. Those things that shine in the sky. You know, that, that stuff. And then day 5, fish and birds. Day 6... Ah, there's something. There's two creative acts again in day six. Land animals and then humans. Now, when it talks about humans, the pattern breaks. It's almost like time slows down. A lot more is filled in, and that's significant. We'll talk about that more uh, next week. But if we look at this, so there's lots of things listed there. And if we look at it in this linear way or take it, you know, in this kind of a more of a literal sense we miss something big about the text and this is something I was trying to begin to explain last week there's something more going on in Genesis chapter 1 it's providing us not with with a historical account it's providing us with meaning there's more to it and I'm going to show you this and so this is really how we should outline the text here's what happens Verses 1 and 2, that's our epilogue. That's, that's the beginning. It sets the tone. Day 1, light and darkness. But if you switch over to day 4, what fills the light and the darkness? The luminaries, the stars, the planets, the moon. There's a parallelism there. Day 2, sky and water. Skip over to day 5. What fills the sky and the waters? Birds and fish. Day three, A, and we'll just kind of lump those together, A and B, dry land and vegetation. What fills the dry land and eats the vegetation? Land animals and humans. See, there's a pattern and a structure, even in Genesis chapter 1, that's trying to tell us something more than just a a, a linear account. There's a structure to it. There's almost a poetry to it. And then day seven, the pattern breaks again. And then we're left with an epilogue. And as we'll talk about in two Sundays, Genesis 1 and 2 is connected. They're almost like bookends to the whole chapter. So it all comes together in this beautiful picture that describe not so much the universe in detail, but it describes God. This is not something that is, is universe-centered. It is God-centered. And so it's this, this kind of masterpiece of ancient literature. And there's this repeating pattern that happens each day. There's this parallelism that we see when we look at verse, uh, days 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. There's the prologue and epilogue. And then there's the, the breaks in the pattern, which are significant. It's almost poetry more than it is history. And it requires us then to see that and then to reread it. And to notice it and then to reread it, it draws us back to it to discover more and more about its depth and its beauty. 
but more than just a masterpiece of literature. I don't want to reduce it to just, just a words on a page. It is divine revelation about the God of the universe. Genesis 1 is ultimately trying to communicate to us truths about God. And it uses these other literary techniques to help convey that deeper meaning. The text is theocentric. It's God-centered, not universe-centered. And so what revelations about God do we discover today? And I want to just kind of mention two aspects of this, and they're, they're both connected. We see the revelation of the beauty of God. That's almost kind of a weird term in itself, that God, the beauty of God. You know, we kind of look around, there's beauty in mountains, there's, you know, beauty in people, but do we understand the beauty of God? And so I want to just, it's kind of a big umbrella topic, but I want to just name two things that I think we see clearly in Genesis chapter 1. The first thing is that there is beauty in order. Here's what I mean by this. I think sometimes we think of order and orderly. It's almost like a negative thing. It's, it's almost like it's, it's regimented. There's no beauty in that. It's boring. But there is a beauty in order. There's beauty in poetry. Why? Because poetry follows patterns and rules. There's beauty in a symphony. Because each instrument plays a designated piece and it all comes together. And when, it's, when each piece is doing their part and played well, it's a beautiful sound. There's beauty in that order. Now, we also appreciate beauty in the sports world. Not so much for the sweaty athletes as much as we know what it's like when we're watching a team and they are just executing a play perfectly. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, there's a beauty to it. Or when a baseball pitcher has just like perfect mechanics time and time again and just repeats that same motion, there's a beauty to that motion. Or a football thrown in a perfect spiral, that's a beautiful thing to watch. Or watching the Olympics. Watch almost any sport from bobsledding to figure skating to ski jumping to rowing to gymnast- gymnastics. Those athletes have a way of turning sport into an art. And it only happens with practice, 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 and repetition. And they're following a discipline. And they're trying to order and control their movements in such a way that they can try to approach perfection or be as close as possible to perfection with their, with their movements. We see the beauty of God in the order of the universe. In, the way, in a way, even the, the laws of nature, you know, that we learn about in science class, when we look at the laws of nature, they point to the beauty and the glory of God. And if we think about it too, what else does order bring us? When things are orderly, it also brings us peace. You know, we talk about law and order. When laws are established for the common good and everyone abides by those laws... We have a safe place, a safe community. There's a peace in that community, and there's a beauty in that community. I know here all the time, you know, back when I was younger, we didn't have to lock our doors. We, you know, our kids could just go out and play. There's a beauty to that, right? There's a peace to that. You're not living in fear. But that's what opposes God's beauty, is disorder and chaos and that breed fear and hostility in those situations, we're wired to either fight or flight. 
We're either looking for self-preservation or self-promotion. But God is a God of order, not chaos. God is a God of, of peace, not violence, not disorder. And peace invites us into a relationship with God. There's a beauty in the order that God establishes, and that's the order that Christ came to restore and to restore that peace that we have with God. The second thing from Genesis chapter 1, there is a beauty in goodness. When God created, it was good. You know, in one level, there's a, there's a purity and an innocence and an inherent goodness about everything that God created. And we, and we see this. I mean, there's something a little more beautiful about a, a pure diamond than a not pure diamond or an unpure diamond or pure gold, or pure silver. You know, those are the things we most desire. There's more of a beauty to those things. Or we might look at a crystal clear stream of water in the mountains, and and there's a beauty to that. But, you know, we don't want to look at the contaminated rivers, you know, filled with trash and sewage and things like that. There's not beauty to that. There's a beauty in the purity. Does anyone remember, um, it was after, I think, just the first few weeks of the, the COVID global lockdown and people in India for like the first time in 30 years could see the Himalayans and over the course of 30 years you know all the pollution and the smog obstructed that view and then all of a sudden you know when the cars stopped running and the factory stopped running everyone was just home and the air kind of purified itself in a way they could all of a sudden see the Himalayans for the first time in 30 years there's a beauty to that purity God's original design was good, not only in its material aspect, but also in its functional purpose. God creates everything good and with purpose. There's not one single molecule that is meaningless. Everything has a meaning and a purpose. And when a creation fulfills God's purpose for it, whatever it might be, God is glorified in that. And so we can say that The beauty of creation reflects the beauty of God. Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I like to use this John Calvin quote. I've used it before, but it's one of my favorites, so I'm going to read at least a part of it again. And he writes, God has revealed himself and daily discloses himself in the whole workmanship of the universe. As a consequence, men cannot open their eyes without being compelled to see God. Indeed, his essence is incomprehensible. Hence, his divineness far escapes all human perception. But upon his individual works, he has engraved unmistakable marks of his glory, so clear and so prominent that even unlettered and stupid folk cannot plead an excuse of ignorance. And it goes on, but it's just basically talking about how the beauty of creation shows us the glory of God. God's beauty is on display. So where does that leave us today? And I'm going to end with this. Genesis 1 is doxological. I know that's, that's a big churchy word. Don't want to hear that. It's, but it's doxological, meaning that this text is theocentric. It's God-centered And it compels us to be praise-centered. 
Genesis 1 reveals to us what God is like, who God is. And because of that, it invites us to marvel in the awe of God. In God, everything lives and moves and has its being. And we can do nothing greater than to praise him. The the shorter catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So I'm going to end with a reading from Psalm 148. And I like this psalm because it's reflecting on creation. But in every part of creation, it's giving praise to God. It begins, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures of all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and all flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near him. Praise the Lord. We'll end with that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray.